0: You don't mind if we turn the heater off? I am cooking up here. Are you guys okay? Are you cooking? Yeah, I don't want you to fall asleep. So put it down to like 15. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) 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 Don't You you understand, just the heat comes up here. It's really hot up here. So um. anyway, uh, if you've got your Bible, which I trust you do, turn to the book of Hebrews. And if you've got your bulletin, you can turn to your bulletin as well. Inside there, there's an outline that we've been working our way through for the last uh, well two weeks. This is part three, as you've noticed. Uh, This has taken a a bit longer than I I thought. We've been going through the book of Hebrews um, verse by verse in our exposition. And I came to the end of chapter six. That's where we're up to, at the end of chapter six. And uh, I thought, well, before we launch in chapter seven... Uh, Is there anything we need to maybe review? And I just came back to the end of verse 20, uh, where the writer tells us that Jesus is our forerunner, and and just the image of that, and understanding the image of that, uh, made me think that, hang on a second, we've looked at a number of images, and how many images are in the book of Hebrews? And I I counted them up, I think I got all of them, 13, 13. Uh, they're there in your your bulletin. I, I omitted God, I omitted Lord, and I omitted Son or Son of God uh, as images for, for who Jesus is and what he's done, just because that's not necessarily unique to the book of Hebrews. But those 13, as you see there, that we're working our way through, are very unique to the book of Hebrews. And it does beg the question, why, why so many? Why so many images of Christ throughout the book of Hebrews to help the readers and help us, who's here we are in 2023 as another reader of the book of Hebrews, understand who Jesus is in terms of his person, but I think more importantly, describing who Jesus is in his work. That, answering that question obviously comes back to who, who were the readers, and the readers were uh, there in the first century, Jewish Christians, very young Jewish Christians, coming out of Judaism, who have embraced Jesus as their Messiah, um, but all of a sudden encountered persecution, persecution from the state, uh, pressure from the family as we keep reviewing that. That's helpful to keep that in the forefront of our minds for everything that we read here. Uh, they need some goading. Uh, they need some help. They need some encouragement. They're backtracking. They're doubting. There's some uncertainty. Uh, they're waffling, if you want to call it that, on their, on their faith. Judaism at the time was um, a, a legal religion. You could believe in Judaism under the Roman Empire. Christianity couldn't. So, hey, let's go back to Judaism, the, the thought was. And if you are the, the, their pastor or you are the, 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 the apostle or writer who hears all this, you want to put a pen to paper helping them see that there's nothing to go back to and everything to move forward to. So as we know, the book of Hebrews, in in one statement, is a a book on Christology. It's a book on the glory of Christ. It's about his majesty and it's about his supremacy. Uh, In in a real sense, this is how we help people today. If if you come in here this morning and you're down and you're downcast and you're a bit depressed and just through the struggles of life, how are we going to lift you up? How are we going to help you? persevere, press on, Uh, look to Christ. Absolutely look to Christ. Take your eyes off yourself, take your eyes off your circumstances, and look to Christ. That's what the book of Hebrews does. And he does it through these images as we've been working our way through. Now, uh, as you see, those 13, I've categorized them. There's three uh, categories, Uh, We've already moved through the first category. And that first category, basically, in a general sense, is descriptions, those images of Jesus bringing salvation from God to man. You could probably reword it a better way, but that's how I've worded it. Jesus bringing salvation from God to man. And and I'm not going to go through them. You can see them right there for yourself. Then last week, we launched into the second category, and that is images that basically reflect Jesus bringing reconciliation from man to God. That, that is, Jesus bringing man to God so that, boys and girls, there's no more separation. Okay? And, and then there's a third category that we'll just quickly mention uh, there at the end. Uh, this is getting uh, a little bit longer than I thought, as I said. I, I, last week, I think we only did one. Um, But I got so much good feedback from it, so I I appreciate that. So we'll just keep plodding along and see how far we get uh, get, uh, today. Now, um, if you're in Hebrews 1, go to Hebrews 1, because that's by way of review. Into the second category, Jesus is an heir. And we spent all of last week discussing that. You see that in Hebrews 1, 2. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. Now, God has uh, made Jesus an heir. Now, I, I loved at the end of that verse. And by the way, he's the creator of everything. But he has appointed him heir of all things. And remember, we said an heir is one who receives an inheritance. But to get the full depth of this understanding, you got to go back into the Old Testament and understand that the inheritance is the is basically Jesus fulfilling the promise that God gave David, right? God gave David a a, a promise; He would give him a, an eternal throne, a a son that will will rule forever, and ultimately that's going to be the Messiah. And so Jesus is that fulfillment. Um, but you come into the New Testament, Jesus understood that. He understood that everything that the, he had was given by the Father. Remember before he departed, all that the Father has what? Given me, right? He has given me all rule and authority. The one point I did make at the end, which pulled it all together, practically for all of us, is not only did God make Jesus an heir, which means he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that everything is his. Right? But if you are a Christian and you are in Christ, guess what? You are an heir as well. You're you you get you're in this deal as well. And I love that thought. I, I love the thought that one day everything is mine. Everything is mine in Christ. And I will be with Christ, reigning with Him forever and ever and ever. Now, does that bring encouragement? Does, does that bring hope? Does that bring certainty? Does that help me... Be, get back on my feet and press on. Well, that was the desire of the writer. So he, that is Christ, is an heir. Let's move on to the next title or image that we have under the second category. And this comes in verse 6. You don't have to go very far. Chapter 1, verse 6. Jesus bringing reconciliation from man to God. Hebrews 1, 6. Again, I'm reading the Christian Standard Bible, so you might have something a little bit different and I'll talk about that in a moment. But if you have the Christian Standard Bible, it reads this. Again, when he brings his firstborn into the world, uh, he says, and let all God's angels worship him. Let me read that again. Again, when he brings his firstborn, that's the image, that's the metaphor, firstborn into the world, he says, and let all God's angels worship him. So Jesus is the firstborn. What does that mean? As you know, there's certain people around, cults, that get this wrong. Jehovah's Witnesses, in particular, claim that this title, Firstborn for Jesus, and especially where you see it again in Colossians, where Paul writes, he's the firstborn over all creation, They deduce from all that that it means that Jesus is the first created being. And thus to them, Jesus is not God. He's not deity. Now, to get there, especially in Colossians 1, you've got to throw another word in there. And that word is other. So Jesus is the firstborn of all other creation, which implies what? Well, he's the first created being. And then after him, he's the firstborn of all that. So what does this mean? Uh, Again, that's to me what I call reductionist theology. Reductionist theology is when you take one verse and make it mean something other than it means and then ignore everything else in the Bible, right? Because everything else in the Bible tells us that Jesus is what? Jesus is God. So you got all these other verses that mean Jesus is God, then maybe you need to go back to Colossians 1 and reinterpret it because you might have missed something there. But what does it mean that Jesus is God's firstborn? The, the Greek word is prototokos, and I just have to say that because I actually this week I was thinking I like that prototokos, prototokos. I, I was thinking, anybody having a boy, that's a good name. Not only is he, and especially if he's ha- especially if he's having if you're having a boy and he's your first boy, name him prototokos there's there's something regal about that prototokos now it, it it comes from two words protos which means first and, and uh, tikto, meaning bear or bring forth now the fact that he's a prototokos or firstborn sometimes means that he's firstborn chronologically that he's number 1 in you know amongst number uh, how many sons you have but all Uh, Many times, primarily, now listen to this, primarily it refers to position or rank. Did you catch that? Position or or rank. Which actually ties us back to our first word, which was what? heir. Both in Greek and Jewish culture, listen, the firstborn was the son who had the right of inheritance, but was not necessarily the first one born. You catch that? Now, Esau comes to mind. Esau was the firstborn chronologically, but it was Jacob who was the firstborn and received the inheritance. And thus, it's the same with Jesus. He is the one with the right to the inheritance of all creation, or, or better, over all creation. He's the prototokos, he's the firstborn, he's the one that has received the inheritance. So, we're talking about rank, right? We're talking uh, about position. Now, don't turn there. I will have you turn to a couple texts just to to make sure you get this. But in Colossians 1.15, uh, Paul says there, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. I think that's a, a good translation. That's the Christian standard Bible. Let me say that again. He is the image of the invisible God, which means he's God, the firstborn over, we're talking about position rank here, over all creation. What does that tell you? He's the king of kings and the lord of lords. He's the prototokos, the firstborn over all creation. In other words, he's the preeminent one. He's the superior one. Now, just so you get this, and maybe these are good verses if you're talking to a JW, turn to Psalm 89, verse 27. Like I said, I'll just have you turn to a couple texts. Look at Psalm 89, verse 27. Here is God speaking of the Messiah. Psalm 89 is a psalm basically related to the Davidic covenant. The the psalmist knows that there's a promise that was given by God to David, and he's wondering where is it? When is it coming? And so when you come down to verse 27, here is God speaking of the Messiah. Now notice the language here. I will also make him, this is God speaking of the Messiah, I will also make him what? My firstborn. You see that? So not just a, a, a Roman Greek thing, it was an Old Testament thing. But you'll notice the parallelisms, Hebrew parallelisms, we've talked about this, so hopefully you get it, that the first line and the second line here kind of match. They're synonymous. Because what do you see in the second line? This defines what a firstborn is. The greatest of the kings of the earth. You see that? So what is a firstborn? The greatest. There's kings, but he's going to be the greatest. He's the superior one. He's the preeminent one. That's what firstborn means. It's, it's, it's not necessarily, or at least with the Messiah, it's not chronological. It's about rank. It's about position. Don't have to turn to this one, but in Revelation 1.5, Jesus is called the firstborn of the dead. The firstborn of the dead. Was he the firstborn of the dead? No, there was others that were resurrected. From the dead. So it's not resurrection chronologically. The point is that all of those who have been raised, he is what? The preeminent one. Go back to Romans 8. I think this is a familiar text, so I think you'll get it here. In Romans 8, it comes in verse 29, but let's read verse 28 first. The familiar verse 28. Romans eight twenty eight. we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his promise. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Why? Here it is. So that he would be the firstborn, the prototokos, among many brothers and sisters. Now, we all know 28, but 28 is connected to 29. So all things work together for good, right? All the good, all the bad, everything is working together for a particular purpose. And the particular purpose is to the purpose of God saving us, which is what? Conforming. There it is. If you want to know why God saved you, did he save you to get you out of hell? Sure. Did he save you to reconcile himself uh, to you? Sure. But here we understand that the purpose of salvation is to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? That he, in sanctification, is making you more and more like Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18 is another cross-reference text on this. You are moving from one level of glory to the next. All the, the means of grace and all the circumstances of life are coming together in order so that you would become more like Jesus Christ and in, in that you being conformed to his image, listen, he might have the what? The preeminence. So he would be the firstborn. In other words, we're all little Christ, but he's the big Christ. Here we are for eternity and eternity, following him around, giving him all the praise, because he is the preeminent one, the superior one of all of us. Does that make sense? We are saved to be like him, but he has the superiority. That, that's what Paul means there in Romans eight twenty nine. So again, in every case, and there's others, but we'll leave it there. In every case, when Jesus is referred to as the firstborn, it clearly means highest in rank, not first in creation. So take that to you, JW friends, okay? By the way, you can see this even in the Old Testament. Just listen to this. Exodus 4.22 and you will say to Pharaoh, God speaking to Moses, and you will say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. Did you catch that? Israel. Israel's got the preeminence. There's a lot of nations. God calls Israel. He's my firstborn. He's my preeminent one. He's my superior one. So just as Israel was God's firstborn son, now... Jesus is God's firstborn par excellence. Now here's, that that should be, everybody got that, right? We got, everybody understand that. Now, there is an ongoing debate within evangelicalism amongst conservatism uh, scholars as to when Jesus receives the title of firstborn. When did he get this title? He, 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 this is a title. He is the firstborn. He is the Prototokos. But when did he get that? Well, what are our options? Our options are either at his incarnation, at his second coming, or after his resurrection and his exaltation. Actually, let me do that chronologically. So either at his incarnation, either at his exaltation, or at his second coming. Scholars debate that. But... Um, the choice of of which one of those depends on how you understand again. Everybody have the word again in your translation. Now, if you don't have the Christian Standard Bible and you have like the English Standard Version, this is how it reads. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. The New American Standard Bible is very similar to the Christian Standard Bible. Uh, where it says, and when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. So the, the New American Standard and the Christian Standard Bible are alike, and they differ to the English Standard Version. Now, we'll get to the, does it really matter, part in a minute, but let's just work our way through why there's a difference. And the difference comes of where to put the again in the sentence or to which verb. Do you you put the again with the verb brings or do you put the again with the verb says? Now, if you connect it to bring, he again brings the firstborn, uh, then probably you would assume that this is referring to the second coming. He's already come once and then he's going to be coming again. God brought him once and he's bringing him again. So the again is Tied to the, the verb bring. Do you see that? if Or hear that if you don't have that translation? But if you connect it like the Christian Standard Bible does and the New American Standard Bible, attach it to says, then basically all he's saying is, and again, let me give you another verse. Let me give you an Old Testament verse again. Because throughout the Hebrews, how many times has he been quoting what? The Old Testament. And again, here's another Old Testament verse. And again, here's another Old Testament verse. That's how they're translating. They're they're tying again with he says. Everybody catch that? What what does the Old Testament text say, though? The Old Testament text says angels will worship him. So if we run with that, if we run with the Christian standard Bible, then the question comes, when did angels worship Christ? Does that help us in understanding who the when the prototokos, the name was given? Some would say that this is a reference to Luke 2 with the angels present at Jesus' birth. Thus, a reference to his what? His incarnation. Or you could take it, and I kind of lean to this, I'm not going to be dogmatic on it, but you could take it. And see it as a reference of the angels welcoming and worshiping Jesus into heaven. Thus, he becomes the prototokos when? At his exaltation. Everybody catch that? You say, is that important? Probably not. So if you want to take it at his incarnation, fantastic. If you want to take it at his exaltation, fantastic. If you want to take it at his second coming, fantastic. Just know that Jesus is what? He's the firstborn. He's the firstborn over all creation. He's the firstborn among us so that he becomes the superior one, the premier one. He's our elder brother. Does that make sense? Let's move on. The next one. Come over to chapter 2, verse 10. Here's another title, another image describing Jesus being bringing reconciliation from man to God, and that is the pioneer. That's the Christian Standard Bible's translation, the pioneer. Let me read it for you. Hebrews 2.10, For in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God, for whom and through whom all things exist should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Jesus here is referred to as the pioneer. Uh, And many times, as you know, I love the New Living Translation. So let me read that for you because they just bring it right down to uh, eyeball to eyeball. They say, and it was only right that God who made everything and for whom everything was made, should bring his many children into glory. Through the suffering of Jesus, God made him a perfect leader. That's, they translate it leader there. One to, fit, bring, one to bring them into their salvation. So, can you translate it leader? Absolutely. Can you translate it pioneer? Absolutely. You might even have champion or, or author or captain. There's a number of different ways you can translate it. But, but let's get the full flow here. Now, let's just not drop in on Pioneer. Start at the beginning. It was entirely appropriate. I don't want you to miss that. It was entirely appropriate. That is, it was fitting. Literally, it was suitable, appropriate, proper. What was appropriate? What was a proper? Uh, what was suitable? Well, it was entirely appropriate that action taken to help men should include Suffering. That, that's what's suitable. Don't, don't miss that. Some, some, some people translate or understand that it was, it was fitting. is Oh, well, it was fitting for God. I mean, God's a gracious God, and therefore, you know, God's grace put this plan in action. That's not what's fitting here. What's fitting was putting Christ through suffering. Don't miss that. Do you see that? It was appropriate that if Christ was going to be our pioneer, that he had to suffer to get there. That's what he's saying there. Now why is that? Why was it appropriate? Why was it fitting that Christ suffer? Well, he's going to be our high priest, isn't he? And suffering is is common to man. And if he's going to represent man who suffers, he needed to suffer as well. So it was fitting that he suffer. That's, That's the gist here. Uh, the, the word there, fitting, it does not describe a logical necessary or an obligation growing out of circumstances, but an inner fitness, so to speak, in God's willings he, he did it because it was the right thing to do. Don't miss that. Obviously, whatever God does is right. Whatever God does is appropriate and fitting. And he wants you to know that what is appropriate here is that Jesus had to suffer, and Jesus had to suffer in order to bring many sons to where? To glory. So the ultimate goal is salvation. But our Savior had to suffer in order to get our salvation. Does that make sense? He had, now we can put it this way, he had to make Jesus the pioneer of their salvation perfect through Suffering. Now remember the word perfect. We've seen it a number of times. It comes throughout the whole book of Hebrews. The word perfect here means qualified. Not that Jesus was imperfect and became perfect. Perfect means he, 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 he qualified to be our high priest. Through his sufferings, he, he passed and graduated in order to be the high priest. Now, this, this word, archegos, Archegos, don't name your kid Archegos. Prototicos is better. But but Archegos, it means pioneer, author, captain, leader, champion. Any of those words will do. Trailblazer. You've heard that one before? That's a good word. It describes someone who's in the front. It describes someone who is leading. That's what a pioneer is, right? Someone who's in the front and is leading. And here, Jesus, as the pioneer, is leading the way to the Father and to eternal life. Boys and girls, we just learned that sin separated us from God. And here comes Jesus bringing us back to the Father. Isn't that good? He's pioneering. He's leading us. He's our captain. Follow me, he says. Where are we going? We're going back to the Father. Again, uh, the implication is that we were lost. We were wondering, without hope. And here comes Jesus bringing us back to the Father. Isn't that a good picture? That's why it, it always refers to someone who involves others in his endeavor. I mean, think about it. Uh, I'm the captain. Okay, that assumes you have a team behind you. Who's your team? Uh, I don't have a team. Well, well, captain of who then? Right? Jesus is the captain of his brethren. He's the pioneer. Like I said, it's always connected to the fact that there's somebody behind him. For example, it, it is used of a man who starts and heads a family into which others are born or married. It is used of a man who... Founds a city in which others come to live. To say it another way, he's never behind the people; he's always in the front of the people. He's never in the rear giving orders; he's always up front. He was always out front, leading and setting the the, the example. So, Jesus here is the supreme Archagos, He's the supreme pioneer, which means that Christ does not stand at the rear giving orders. He is always before us as our perfect leader and perfect example. Now, by the way, if, 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 you're, if you say, well, this word sounds familiar. If you go back or go over to chapter 6, verse 20, and we'll come to this in a moment, there, Jesus is the forerunner. And you say, oh, hang on a second, forerunner, pioneer? It sounds very similar. Yes, but two different words and really two different nuances. Two different pictures, two different images. There, Jesus is the forerunner into the heavenly sanctuary, into the presence of God. Here, back in chapter 2, here Jesus is the author of our salvation. Let me throw in another word there. He's our pioneer, he's our leader, he's our captain, but he's also our author of our salvation. I I love the commentator Barclay where he says this, an archegos is someone who begins something in order that others may enter into it. He begins a family that someday others may be born into the family. He founds a city in order that others may someday dwell in the city. He founds a philosophical school that others may follow him into the truth and peace that he himself has discovered. He is the author of blessings or of penalties into which others will also enter. And Archagos is one who blazes the trail for others to follow. Suppose a ship was on the rocks and suppose the only way to rescue was for someone to swim ashore with a line in order that once the line was secured, others might follow. The one who was first to swim ashore would be the archegos of the safety of the others. That is what the writer to the Hebrews means when he says that Jesus is the archegos of our salvation. Jesus was the pioneer who blazed the trail to God for us to follow. End quote. Again, what a wonderful image. I mean, you think of (laughs) D-Day. Those who jumped out of that boat and hit the the sands, didn't have a chance. You seen the movies, you heard the reports. As soon as they hit the beach, they were they were done. They were they were leading, but they were done. But those were the the privates, those were the runs. You you wouldn't find a general leading. The point is, Jesus is our general is leading. I heard a, a U.S. Marine tell me once that you never put your leader up front. The lead man is most vulnerable. Is that right, Ned? Say yes. Mm-hmm. Or maybe Australian Army is different than the U.S. Army. I'm not sure. Same thing with SWAT. My dad was with FBI SWAT for a while, and he... He, he, I remember him telling me something like this years ago. But when the SWAT or military personnel were clearing houses, the first man through the door of the doorway is known as the fatal tunnel. I don't know if you've heard that before. Look it up, the fatal tunnel. The fatal tunnel is what law enforcement refers to, the doorways where one can be easily seen but difficult to move out in, of the way in the case of incoming projectiles. A police officer will never stand in front of a doorway, especially an open doorway, during a high-risk incident. That's a fatal tunnel. Chances are not good. Now, the the point of all this is that the first guy through the door is obviously in the most vulnerable position. You kind of want to be the third or fourth, fifth guy back because once the first couple guys go through, you know what's going on. I hate to be the first guy going through the door. Jesus is the first guy through the door. That's the point here. He knowingly and willingly became the lead man. He took the bullet, so to speak, that we might be spared. He became our pioneer. How? He says in this verse, through Sufferings. You catch that? Through sufferings. So, Jesus is the pioneer of salvation for the sons whom God brings to glory. That's what he's saying here. He's the pioneer of salvation for the sons whom God brings to glory. He's the trailblazer who secures salvations for his brethren. Now, I have to admit to you, when I hear the word pioneer growing up in America and hearing you know, all the American history, the first thing that comes to my mind, and maybe you've heard it before, is the, the, the expedition of Lewis and Clark with Sacagawea, or the, the female Indian. Everybody colonized, you know, on the East Coast, but what's on the West? Let's, let's find out what's in the West. Let's, well, an expedition is set out uh, with two guys and a whole bunch of others, but Lewis and Clark King is the the two names that come to the fore, but they were pioneers. I, I think something similar here with Blackslyn and Wentworth and Lawson over the Blue Mountains, right? Did I get that right? Okay. 23 years, I better get something. Um, were they pioneers? Absolutely. Same idea. They were pioneers. Jesus was a pioneer. And as we've seen with every single one of these titles, it's not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament. Can you, can you think of who in the Old Testament, by way of type, were pioneers? Moses? Moses was the pioneer who led Israel out of Egypt. And then Joshua was a quote-unquote pioneer who led Israel into the promised land. All those were types of Jesus who ultimately is our pioneer of our salvation. I love that. Jesus is our pioneer. One more? We have time for one more? Yeah, let's do that real quick. Go over to chapter 12. And again, the reason why we're jumping is because... This one is, uh, is in category two. Jesus bringing reconciliation between man and God. Uh, by the way, you'll see that, that word pioneer is also there in chapter 12, verse two. But we've already covered that. So we'll go to the next word that's in verse two. But go back to verse one to get the full flow. Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, Archegos, but here's the word that we want to zero in on now, and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God." Jesus is the perfecter. That's how we'll word it. He is the perfecter of our faith. But you'll notice the context of verses 1 through 2. It, 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 there's an admonition here. I mean, 11 chapters. And of course, on the heels of chapter 11, that great cloud of witnesses, there's an exhortation now. There's an admonition now. And what is it? You must run the race. That's a metaphor. The the, the Christian life is a race. Remember Paul over in 1 Corinthians 9 says, run the race in such a way that you will win the prize. Christian life is is, is like a battle, so you're a soldier. Um, He uses the the farming uh, and the farmer imagery at times, but here he's using the race imagery. You're running a race, so you need to run in such a way, and not only making sure no obstacles are in your way, but you're going to need some endurance. You, you're just not going to have to, you know, drop out because you you lost strength. You need endurance. You must persevere to the end. You must press on to the end. And here he tells them how to run the race. He says, first, you must lay aside every hindrance to running well. I mean, what are those things that are going to trip you up? And I'll leave it, Spirit of God, To to help you, I mean, I could give you some examples, but uh, there's a number of things, worldly things, that potentially will trip you up. But laying aside those things that are hindrances, secondly, you're going to have to run with endurance. How? By keeping your eyes on Jesus. So removing those hindrances, keeping your eyes on Jesus, and then thirdly, take note of who Jesus is. So keep your eyes on Jesus, but who is Jesus? He is the what? The pioneer, the source, and the perfecter of our faith. Those two words go together. You see that? Meaning that Jesus is, one, the exemplar of faith, and two, that he's also the one that initiates and completes the faith of believers. That's just what perfecter means. He initiates and completes. He who began a good work in you will what? Completed. That's the promise. And he's given us a down payment with the Holy Spirit. Remember Ephesians 1 tells us that. So, so don't miss the context here. Here the author is encouraging believers by reminding them that the one who was the source and originator of their faith, that pioneer, will also complete and perfect it. That's, that's the point. He will lead you and he will lead you all the way. In other words, you want to use the, the title champion instead of pioneer, you win. That's what a champion is, right? You, you've won. Perfector. Perfector. You could translate it accomplisher. You could, you could even, in, in light of the context here, translate it finisher. Don't miss the point, though. It describes a state of completeness. I mean, isn't that what perfect means? He's the Perfector. It's done. We win. I mean, think about you on that for a moment. You're downcast. You're depressed. You, you know, what, what's going on? All, all the circumstances of life have just, just weighed me down. Well, guess what? God's working all that together for your good. He's sanctifying you. He's refining you. He's making you more like Christ. And, you, you know, Whatever is going on down here, in one sense doesn't matter because you win in the end. It's enough to wear the uniform, right? By the way, this word perfecter, you won't find it anywhere else in um, first century literature. It's only in the Bible. And some would say that the writer here has coined the word perfecter. Um, Now the word uh, teleotes simply means someone who brings something to a successful conclusion. That seems simple enough. It it describes a state of completeness, perfection, complete maturity. The, The Latin Vulgate translates it as consummator. I like that, consummator. J.R. Miller, um, pastor in the 1800s, says this. I love this. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. This is a wonderful secret which all of us ought to learn. We should not think so much about the toil and hardness of the way, but to look beyond to the brightness of the end. It does not matter how rough the road is, If only it brings us home at last. Many of us go worrying all through this life, keeping our eyes always downcast on the path we are treading. We see all the troubles, the difficulties, and discouragements, but we never raise our eyes to see the joys and eternal blessings which are waiting for us. We ought to learn this secret, this life secret, which made Christ look past the shame and sorrow of his cross and see the glory beyond, learn to look up toward heaven. Think of its joys and its blessedness until earth's trial shall melt away in the brightness and its griefs and losses are forgotten in the hopes of eternal glory. End quote. Very practical, isn't it? He's not just our pioneer, but he's our perfecter. The perfector of our faith well we'll stop there made a little dent further I find these I hope you do too just rich rich uh, the, the, just we read it ah, kind of get an idea but when you start just stopping and chewing over it and meditating and, and plumbing the depths and seeing how it relates uh, to the Old Testament and to the New Testament, and why he we're giving this in terms of uh, we need this. They needed it. We needed it. If we're gonna we're gonna finish the race, we need to look, look to Christ, consider Christ. That's the message of the book. Well, we'll stop there, as I said. And either we'll pick it up tonight or we'll pick it up next week. But let's close in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time just putting Christ on display and how rich the study has been. Describing who he is, what he's done, and what he's done for us. That's that's the key here. And we need to hear it. We need to to see it, even in our own imaginations. And what we've learned today, that he is the prototokos, And He's the champion. And He's the perfecter. What hope? Uh, Lord, there's no reason for us to be hopeless. And all the reasons to be hopeful, there's certainty in all of this. And we thank You that the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and it is doing its work in all of us. It's conforming us to Christ. Even now through the preaching of Your Word. And we ask that You would continue to do that for Your glory, for Christ's sake, and our sake as well. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.